If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. All my life, been grinding all my life. Sacrifice, hustle, pay the price. Want a slice, got to roll the dice. That's why all my life, I've been grinding all my life. Yeah. All my life. Grinding all my life, sacrifice, hustle, pay the price. Want a slice, got to roll the dice. That's why all my life, I've been grinding all my life. Hello, welcome to another edition of Club Shay Shay. I am your host, Shannon Sharp, also the proprietor of Club Shay Shay, the guy that's stopping by for conversation and a drink today. Really needs no introduction. He's hip hop royalty and a rap legend, gold and platinum selling rapper and songwriter, record producer and executive with almost 40 years in the game. The king of the bay, too short. What it do? What's up, man? That's a multi-platinum. Multi, <laughs> multi, multi. Yeah, because I did it. I did it like seven times in a row. What? Oh yeah. Well, talk to us about it. I'm just trying to figure. You got a new. You got a new single coming out called Nasty Dance. Mm-hmm. You always seem to have an album coming out. <laughs> what number album is this for you? I lost count, but it's uh, it's up to like twenty something, like twenty one. So twenty somewhere up there. So you got. This, tell us about the single that you got that you're about to drop. Well, you know, I'm just trying out new platforms and stuff. I, I um, partnered up with a company called Encore. Okay. And it's just a new style of uh, how they shoot the videos and how they present it. And I'm just, you know, at this age and with my career accolades, I really don't have much to prove. Right. So you know, you know, we, we formed the Mount Westmore group. That's me, Snoop, Cube, and E40. Right. And that's kind of like my thing. So right. outside of that, I'm just freelancing a little bit, doing stuff, right. just having fun. I love rap, so right. I'm just doing it. You started, you got 40 years in this game, so you started back in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's a lot different. What's some of the biggest differences that you noticed between rap when you started and currently where it is now? Probably the platforms is the biggest thing, the internet. Right. And that changed the game as far as we were so worried about duplicating CDs and, and copying MP3s and file sharing. Right. And it just went straight to streaming. And right. So, and streaming, with streaming brought multiple pla- multiple platforms. Right. And you can you can maximize just, like an artist can get one hot song right now. Right. And you make a boatload of money right. just by the fame you get and the different opportunities you can send your song, all, all these right. different platforms paying you. So it's, it's a different ball game. And it's, it used to be a lot about skills and what you could bring to the table original, now it's just about popularity. Like, right. the most popular guy is going to get the money. So he, don't necessarily, he or she doesn't necessarily have to be good, but just have a hot song. And a hustle. And a hustle. And a hustle. So with the new platform that's out, you have the streaming, you have the internet, you have social media, guys, you can go directly. Mm-hmm. So do you really need a record company? Do you really need an... You need a record company. The majors have the airwaves on lock. Right. They got, you know, the big numbers on lock. Right. Yeah, worldwide, that international, it's on lock. Right. But you can get in there right. without a major, and you could be like a young Dolph, rest in peace, young Dolph, right. who was making millions independent. It's still, it's still a lane to right. get in there and master these platforms and make, make room for yourself right. without a major label. Yeah, I, I recommend that as much as possible. Right. It depends on who you are individually and what you want out of this. Right. But there is a way to have ownership and run your own show and right. have your own team and be ma- and be a major artist. Right. But if you just like you like I want to be that guy, I need to be Drake. You're gonna need that big. You're gonna need you you're gonna need that you're gonna need a machine behind. Exactly. You. Well, you know what? Let's toast. I have my okay. own brand of cognac. 
You've been 40 years deep in the game. Yes, sir. You did it your way, and you're still continuing to do it your way. Salute, bro. Here we go. That's my own brand. Tell me it ain't smooth. Go ahead, talk to me, show. No, it, it really is good. I would I wouldn't even lie to you either. It's it's because if you could just drink it and it's not a problem, right? It's smooth. Like I don't this cognac, man. This remind me of, of the, the old the nineties. <laughs> Tell the story. We was telling off air. Say, you know what? I used to be a big cognac drinker. Oh yeah. I don't really drink as much as I once. I don't really partake in the cognac as much as I once did because it reminds me of the days before I really made it big. Mm -hmm. And I was just a little guy, you know, hanging in the streets with the homies, and we get the bottle and pass it around <laughs> on a cold day. You know, cognac was your jacket. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on a hot day, cognac was your air conditioner. <laughs> so I'm from that, and then I started getting a little money, going into some different little places, and I'm like, you know what? Well, let me get a margarita. Yeah, so you got food for you. You got brand new owners. So that's all, you know. I just, I just switched it up a little bit, and then when I, when I sip a little bit, as soon as I sip it, the smell of the seed, I'm like, oh, here we go. I'm back on the street corner in Oakland. <laughs> in my mind, you know, I'm. So you know, I, I, I'm, I'm a tequila guy, but at the same time, I have a great cognac drink that I've, I've made many people over the years. Mm -hmm. That, it's high calorie, but it's the bomb. So you, you take um. You take an even shot of the cognac, the Kahlua, mm -hmm. and the Bailey's Irish Cream. Right. Even, they got to be even shots. Okay. Put them on a lot of ice and let it just all get together. Right. Stir it up real good. It's like a uh, it's like a separator, but with a ghetto twist. Right. And then um, the other version is replace the ice with ice cream. So a couple scoops of ice cream, mm -hmm. one shot of Hennessy. Well, not Hennessy. We want the Shea Shea. We want the Shea Shea, yeah. One shot of the, the Shea. yeah. One shot of the uh, Kahlua and one shot of the Bailey's Irish Cream. Mix it with the ice cream and let it, let it turn into a milkshake. I'm trying to tell you. Well, we're going to have to try that. I'm telling you, it's called a, um, a Dirty MF. Okay. And uh, people such as uh, Allen Iverson used to like it once upon a time. Right. It was, it was I, turned on, I turned Scarface, the rapper, on to it. Right. And between me and him, we turned a lot of people on to the, right. the Dirty MFs. Okay. I like that. So what can we expect from this album, though? Uh, you can expect hip-hop to expand, meaning that every time one of your legacy artists who have who has been around for a long time, right. and, you know, Nas still dropping albums, Jay-Z right. still dropping hits, right. you know, rappers who are well into their 40s are doing good. Right. And some into their 50s, you know. Right. Snoop, Snoop Dogg just right. hit 50. And it's like, we're just expanding hip-hop. Hip-hop hasn't had 50-year-old uh, rappers. Correct that have any type of success. If I had told you in your 20s, in your early 20s, that you'd still be doing this in your 50s, what would you have said? I would have said you're crazy, because I was like, <laughs> at my early 20s, I would have said, anybody that's 32 is an old man. Right. <laughs> you, you calling me an old man rapper? And the young rappers right now see it the same way. They like, right. man, you old dudes. And I'm like, dude, you're going to be an old dude one day. Yeah. And you're going to wish, you're going to wish, if you're a 22-year-old rapper, you're going to wish that you could be a, 42-year-old rapper on stage and they love you. Right. Because that's hard to do. You know what my grandpa used to say, hey, I've been your age. You've never been mine. Yeah, E40. Keep living. E40 just said that in the rap. <laughs> I just said that. You keep, you keep living. So yeah, man, you know, um, I just think uh it's a beautiful thing to to do what you do what I'm doing right. in my 50s. Right. That I did when I was a teenager. And it's still something I love and it's still getting me money. Right. Is that why you do it? Because you still love it? You don't have to do it. Obviously, I, you've made money. You're still making money. But I do it because um, once upon a time, I announced that I was retiring. Right. I was 30 years old. Correct. And it was a big promotional push behind Too Short Retiring. I right. was on my 10th album at the time. Right. And I remember DJ Red Alert mm -hmm. said to me, um, he was like, you don't ever see jazz musicians retiring or blues, you know what I'm saying? Right. They keep performing. You know, yeah. Diana Ross and Smokey and them, they on the stage. Stevie like, Wonder still performing. Why does a rapper have to stop? So when he right. said that, I never, ever considered retirement ever again. Right. And I think that the more I get older and wiser, I'm like, somebody's got to keep doing this. Dr. Dre is older than me. Right. And he's about to perform at the Super Bowl. It's going to be lit. Rapping. Too. It's gonna be lit too. They didn't go get 
uh, Young Thug and Gunner, they didn't go get, <laughs> you know, money bag, yo. They, they got Dr. Dre. Well, if you're in L.A., I mean, you got to. How you come to L.A. and don't get Dre? How you don't get Snoop? You, you, I mean, you but, can't. But ageism is a real thing in, in entertainment. It is. And they got Dr. Dre. <laughs> so I, that's like, that. that is the whole narrative of what I'm trying to be a part of. Right. Is every time Jay-Z steps up to the plate, we accept it. Right. And ever since he was 20-something. Right. You know, so it's like, this is saying, not for me, look what I did. This is saying, for my young homie, look what I can do. Right. Look, what is Tom Brady doing right now if for quarterbacks? Right. Right. You know what I'm saying? He's saying it can be done. Right. I don't know if you could do it. Who are some of the features you have on this album? Uh, features, I'm trying to think right now, because, you know, I really don't... <laughs> you know? I, I really don't, like, value that that much. Right. So if I got, like, like say, G-Eazy was on there, in my mind, it's just the homie G-Eazy. It's, right. like, it's like nothing I can really, like, brag on it. Right. But I, I definitely have some features. I always go out there and get some homies. I just, I do so many projects. Right. Like, you know, like, Mount Westmore... Like, I'm not really focused on the, the bragging part of it. Right. When it comes out, you're going to see. How do you determine who you hop on the track with? Obviously, if Snoop comes, mm -hmm. you're gone. Uh, 40 Water, you gone. It's based, you... on, it's based on friendships, relationships. Uh, I could have a relationship with the label or somebody at the label and not the artist. And they call me and say, hey, I need one. Need you to do one. I do it. I got a call from Jazzy Faye last night about an artist, they were, he's working with in Atlanta, and they sent me the song. I don't know the artist, but I'm gonna do the song because it's a Jazzy Fake production. Right. The beat is hot. So a lot of times it could be, is the song hot? Right. A lot of times it could be, who's the artist? Right. And it's an artist I don't know. I might check the numbers and go, oh, little homie doing it. Right. I'm gonna get down. So, and it could be family. <laughs> I mean, like, I, I, all my cousins get one favor. <laughs> And after that, you got to pay for it. <laughs> like, cuz, you want your favorite to do be a show? You want me to show up at, <laughs> at your party? You need help with a car? Right. You, you get one favorite. Right. In a lifetime. When I look at what, some of the guys that you've been up with, mm -hmm. Tupac, Biggie, Jay-Z, Wayne. That's the best. I mean, yeah. I mean, Dre, T.I. I'm the big homie, though. Because you, you, while you're bored, you've you been at it the longest. I'm the big homie. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of people get at me and they ask me these stats and these numbers and this what was happening then and there. I was like, all these stories you telling, I'm, I'm, in it. I'm the big homie. And in these stories, in these situations, you talk right. about Big, Pac, name all these people. I was platinum when these dudes was in high school and middle school and stuff. I was right. out there living and kicking it. So when they came to the party, I was already the big dog at the party. Like, right. you know, Snoop Dogg was in middle school bumping too short. They all, I'm the OG, man. So, you know, these this list of artists I've collaborated with a right. lot of times, a lot of times, majority of the time, they were getting at me. Right. And they're like, I need too short on a song. I brought a whole lot with me. Right. And, you know, I'm proud of it. But at the same time, when you look back on it, you look like all of us were right there. But nah, when Jay-Z first got at me. No, you way over. I had way more platinums and I was established. Yeah. All this. So it's it's cool, man. I, I love where it all, the way it all played out. I love that when I look back at it, you know, I'm a part of an elite group. Right. And, and you know, and it's history. It's, it's hip hop history. I mean, it's, 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 I mean, when you think about it, think about when you started. Mm -hmm. I was lit. Look at where we are now. I'm still on the scene. Mm -hmm. it, like you said, you just mentioned Tom Brady. Tom Brady said, look, bro, I'm, I'm three generations. Bro, I did it 2000, I did it 2010, here I'm in 2020, still doing work. He's playing against quarterbacks that wasn't born when yes, he got to the league. For sure. <laughs> that was two years old when he got to the league. Did, did you think you would have this kind of success, this kind of staying power when you started? So when you're a legend and you're breaking records and you're blazing trails, you don't care about that or even know that. Right. Because you're a trailblazer. That means right. you're in front. Right. And you, you, you the one burning the trail. Right. You don't realize it till it's a paved road and you look back and go, oh, I, I started that. I did that. So I'm, I'm saying you in that status of, of, of just like you're doing greatness. Right. You can't think I'm doing greatness while right. you're doing greatness. You're like just trying to outdo the men in the room with you. Right. And it, and you, and you like um. We talk this stuff about uh, sports eras. Right. Who would have been who in what era. Right. And I'm like, a, a grown man is a grown man. Size, strength, speed, 
You put that grown man in any, put him back in Africa 500 years ago. He's going to be a man amongst men. Right. Because that's who he is. Right. And I think, you know, you drop me off in any era. You drop me off in this era of hip hop, I'm going to shine. And I just feel that confident about who I am as an individual. Drop me off in the hood in Baltimore, Maryland. Right. I'm going to get home. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Everybody ain't going to make it home, but I'm going to make it home. Your style. How did you come up with the way you were going to rap? I was um, mimicking New York rappers. It's early 80s. Okay. And when I say mimicking New York rappers, I just mean party rap, you know, you know, the girl in the blue dress, well, you know, you know, just, just, it was like a shout out thing and a fun thing. You just right. kind of rhyming little simple words and, and just trying to get your cadence and your patterns together. Right. And then I heard The Message. And The Message is one of those songs that came out in 1982. I was in 11th grade. I was one of them little kids that had the beatbox, mm -hmm. my big boom box, and I'm walking down the street, bumping out. This day, I always remember this day because I was by myself and had no car. I probably was walking from somewhere to the bus stop or something, coming from the bus or something, and a song came on. I right. stopped in my tracks by myself on the, I, was, I wasn't even on the main street. I was in like a neighborhood. And the song come on, and I'm like, I put the radio up to my ears. He's like, broken glass everywhere. I'm like, what? And I'm I'm in the streets of Oakland. I'm a rapper. I'm pretty popular. I'm like little baby popular. Right. And I think to myself, oh my God, I gotta start rapping about Oakland. Right. And literally at that moment, that's what it turned into. Right. And everything from that point on has been like um, it's just been like a match made in heaven. Like when I put the pen to the paper, I just think about Oakland. Right. And I write songs, and it's just, it's the message gave me that. Yeah, but you write about Oakland. Obviously, Oakland is in you. But you were able to branch out because it wasn't just the Bay rappers that were one to, uh, too short on the hook. So, it was... So I spent my early years... Right. ...born in L.A. Right. And I moved to Oakland right after ninth grade. Okay. So I'm of that age where if I was in L.A., Probably could have been trying to dip and dodge and right. avoid gangs. Right. But I get to Oakland and it's a different thing. It's not the street gangs, blue and red. It's not like that. It's to me, Oakland looked like a movie. Right. It looked like a black exploitation movie that came to life. Like I'm on set in the movie. Everything was colorful. It was the cars. It was the lifestyle. It just, I'm looking at it. It, it was totally different in LA. Right. And it just, you know, it just really like. I think that me telling the story of my experiences and what Oakland taught me and brought to me right. was partially uh, because of my outside influences. Right. I spent every summer of my childhood in New Orleans. Right. Okay. My mother couldn't wait till May, June. Yeah, school was out. You got like, to go. <laughs> yeah, me and my brother, you on the plane. Like, come back. I'll see you in August. Right. Like, you don't get rid of us for two months every summer? <laughs> yeah, y'all, go stay with my sister. Go stay with my mama. And I think that that music in New Orleans right. gave me a whole different cultural thing that West Coast rappers didn't have. My knowing and the streets of L.A. and coming up and being around the blue and the red and the, and, and the hood stuff out here and the right. music influence out here, when I get to Oakland, I bring all this with me, like, subconsciously. And then I absorb all this Bay stuff in the Bay Area. The Bay Area music is... Sliding the family stone, you know, right. the, the whispers, the point of sisters, yep. tower of power. And this is before rap. Right. And, you know, confunction. It's like the Bay has, has a, I can name a lot of groups, the Bay has a very rich music heritage. Even the gospel, the Hawkins family, you know, like it's a lot. And when I come up as a rapper, I'm the first rapper. I'm the first guy who steps up to the plate. And I'm looking at it like, because people, you know, the people that were, I was working with when I first came up, some of them was, had been around Rick James. Okay. They had been around Tower of Power. They had been around Sly, Larry Graham. Right. And I'm like, okay, I got to, they Man, telling me the story. You, you taking me old, you taking me <laughs> way back. Larry Graham wanted a million convunction, love train. Yeah, but, Man, you know that love train. <laughs> but I'm saying these OGs yes. are telling me, look, youngster, you know, this is what we did. This is what we, you know. Right. They telling me like, the greatness. I'm like, oh, I gotta live up to this. So right. from the start, it's quality, man. It's 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 gotta be quality. And you go listen to the early two short songs, and I'm it's musicianship, man. It's I got real like musicians on there 
trying to uphold the legacy. So, right. you know. How did you link with 40? Uh, me and E40 have street ties. Okay. So E40 is definitely a street guy yeah. from the streets. And my whole influence of how I came to be was from street guys. Like literally, I had a hustle where I sold cassette tapes in the streets. Mm -hmm. And 100% of our clientele, I had a rap partner named Freddie B. 100% of our clientele was street level drug dealers. Right. Who was on the street selling drugs. Right. And through that, through those relationships, when I started the label, the first thing I went to, I didn't go to Wells Fargo. I went to the street dudes right. to start the label. If you go back and check almost the entire hip hop industry, a lot of us got bankrolled by the streets. Right. Because well, you couldn't get a loan. Bank ain't give you the loan. So. What's your occupation? Oh, I'm a uh, aspiring rapper. <laughs> get out of here. <laughs> so <laughs> E-40 and his cousins and brother. Right. They some street dudes who financed themselves. They right. went and got the game from their Uncle Charles, right. who was affiliated with the music scene around Vallejo that could function around it. Mm -hmm. And I got the game from a guy named Dean Hodges, who was also a street dude, mm -hmm. who was dabbling with a lot. He, I feel like he wanted to be a rock star, but he really didn't couldn't play guitar or the drums or sing. <laughs> so he surrounded himself by all these music making people. Right. And he learned a lot. He taught me how to run an independent label. He taught me how to make music in a studio and, and mix it down and put it out. And me and 40 was on the same trajectory. He's in Vallejo. I started rapping and getting popular before him. Mm -hmm. He's motivated by me, but he's like on a whole nother island 30 miles away and he's doing it on his own. He's like, I'm getting out there. And I think um, the way we connected was his immediate crew was literally doing street business with my immediate crew. Right. And at the same time, they mixing and mingling. We the rap guys, we in the same crew. And we keep meeting up, hanging out around the same, you know, crew, not really talking about music, right. but not even really connecting. Mm -hmm. Just around each other, what's up, you know? Right. I seen your tape, I seen your tape, whatever. Right. You know, it's cool, I know who you are. I know who you are, it's cool, respect. And then um, it started getting more and more popular and he always tells the story that he flagged me down on the freeway. You know, how you flag somebody on the freeway? <laughs> we on the 50, doing 55, 65. Hey, man, we need to work together. You know, he like, I kind of big willied on him a little bit. Like, yeah, okay, and roll the window back up. <laughs> I don't, you know, I don't think it went like that. Was it the roll or was it the electric? You know, you can, you do. No, this, this was a roll down there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a roll down, you roll it down. Yeah. And, that was that. Right. We still the same. I know him. We still like family, but we not music. Back then, nobody, man, you don't ask me to use my producer and uh, me try to do a collab with somebody from some. We don't do that. Like, right. your crew, your crew. Love your public enemy. Love your beats, everything. But I don't want to use your producers. Right. You know what I mean? It was just, it was just like that. So uh, fast forward a little bit. We had a big event that we used to do. They still do in the Bay. It's called uh, Summer Jam. Right. It was, um, you know, the, where the radio station bring the 50 artists out and let everybody get 10, 15 minutes and, you know, the 30, 40,000 people in the crowd and it's just a big day. So I had done that a couple of times. And this particular year, it was 40's turn to be the, the headline. Mm -hmm. He's hot, he's about to, you know, big show. And I wasn't on the show that year. Some stuff had happened where I moved to Atlanta and a young group, called the Loonies, I got five on it, mm -hmm. had mentioned my name in a record. And they mentioned this one line that said, it was trying to say, insinuate that they were a part of some situation that, that came my way and they made me move to Atlanta, which right. is far from the truth. Right. Far from the truth. Right. And I was totally offended that this record, the line was, that's why the town got rid of short. And they was talking about some some gangster, gangster shit or whatever. Right. That's why the town got rid of short. And I'm like, what? Like, we them guys in the streets. Me and my, we them guys. Right. And you can't get away with saying that. You can't say that and- Think everything okay. So, I was being diplomatic because the loonies are literally connected. Right. I could tell you many layers of the story. Like, the way they get in the game is through people that I influence 
my guys, all this stuff, we family. Right. So I don't go the route of, man, let's just go get these dudes. Man, I'm, I'm not even thinking like that. I'm like, we're going to do this the right way. Summer Jam is coming up. That's the show where everybody in the Bay is going to be in the crowd. Right. The Loonies is on the show, E-40 on the show. Everybody, We're going to step up in front of the crowd, me and the Loonies, and just say to the crowd, ain't no beef between us. You ain't got to explain the song. You ain't got to just step up there. If you say that in front of them, I'm cool. cool. So I come to the show. They tell me, um, you know, we can only give you four passes short, but they gave me them sticker, sticker passes. Right. I'm like, I tell my guys, we good to go. I got four stickers. So we go to the show, four guys go in. I send one guy out with four passes. Four more guys come in. <laughs> one guy goes out with four passes. Four more guys come in. We do that shit all day. Right. So the loonies are on stage, and I'm telling the KMEL radio station people, Let's do this thing I got in mind. Let's do it. Right. I'll hold up right here. Uh, let's go get this a person. Now the loonies are off stage. They all missed the opportunity. So now we got all this friction backstage. Uh, long story short, not, not the loonies, but their manager got roughed up a little bit. <laughs> um, we went out in the crowd, watched the show. We was a little upset. And I guess the presence of us and the ex over-exaggeration of what, how we showed up and what we did uh, prompted them to end the show before E-40 could perform. Then they went to the scandal of, of uh, Monday morning. Right. They get on the radio and have a, a comedian, somebody funny, fake my voice and pretend like I called the radio station. And, I, and the dude was like, is this too short? Man, I, don't, I don't care if your name was E-100. You ain't getting on stage if I'm like, you know, right. I'll run this thing. And E40 called me. He was, he had that 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 sort of anger yeah. that was not like an angry voice, but you he's like, hey man, was you on the radio this morning? And I'm like, nah. He's like, so you wasn't, you sure you wasn't, you didn't call up there? I'm like, wasn't me. He's like, all right, hang up the phone. And then however circle back and start coming out about the call and this and that. And then E40 is the kind of guy he said, I talked to you and you said to me, man to man, it wasn't you. Did the investigation, wasn't me, it was somebody funny. And long story short, the radio station was trying to make us enemies. Right. They figured these big dudes, a little too short, Vallejo, E40 and them to click, you know, they're gonna beat too short up and too, you know. Right. The, pro the program director was trying to, she was sending around fax machines, fax, faxes and emails, like band too short. It was, it was terrible. So E40, who I give all the credit to, was like, man, you know, we got to turn this negative into a positive. Mm -hmm. He really wanted to do that show. Right. They really tried to tell him it was all my fault and, you know, they, they we need to be enemies, but we had already had a friendship. Right. So we took all that and we made this song called Rapper's Ball. Right. Which went platinum. It was our first record we did together. We probably done dozens of songs together. We did dozens of songs since then. And it was almost like he could have took that bait. Right. And just been like, if he would have said, yeah, okay, partner, when I see you, then it would have just been no turning back. It just, but he's 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 a um, he's a smart guy. Yes. And that was a great decision because I probably if shoe on the other foot. I don't know what my reaction would have been. Right. Or yours. It was a big day for him. Right. He had spent a lot of money out of his pocket to put this big show on. Right. And they shut it down and said, well, blame too short. And it was just, you know, I always look back at that and I'm like. A radio station tried to end my career, tried to pit me against my number one ally, and all that backfired. Cause we like we, our music is from us to the streets. Right. And you gonna put a commercial middleman in there and like I'm gonna alter this and I could I could end your career with a fax machine? No, you can't. So now that you mentioned that mm -hmm. this transition, is that what's happening? Because we see a lot of beasts. Mm -hmm. And maybe the beef is manufactured. Maybe it's real. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of these, you know, you rap about the the proximity of where you grew up. You talk about what you see, what you've experienced. And because you've experienced, doesn't make his experience any less or her experience any less. Is that what we're getting at? Because like you said, 40 could have went a totally different way. But he called you and stepped like a man. Mm -hmm. He's like, okay, I'm going to do my due diligence. Uh, Too Short said it wasn't him. I'm going to do my due diligence, get to the bottom of it, as opposed to just capping off. Mm -hmm. And then ain't no turning back from that. Yeah, a lot of situations that we see happening now where we got 
injuries, loss of life, could have been handled by a phone call from man from one man to another man, mm -hmm. and just what was it? Because clickbait is playing a part. Uh, rappers are using the clickbait to get popular. It's the most. It's one of the easiest ways to get free publicity. Right. Is to pick a guy. You, you got to play the same position as you. Right. And you got you. We didn't have social media to call. No, 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 no. So. Uh, the week before the game, you just start hitting him. You're sorry, you're weak. <laughs> Hit him with the personal, right. your ex-girlfriend. Yeah. Now, he's hot when he see you. Right. But this is a different kind of hot. They sitting there saying, you know, street stuff. Right. And then you got this whole ego thing. You got to live up to it. Right. And it's, it's so bad, man, where, in, you know, social media and playing with these streets and this, Music, you 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 like you got albums out and videos, and your face is popular. But you're gonna send out a message on social media saying, "I'm on such and such street, f you and your whole crew," and they pull up in five minutes and shoot you. You just told them where you was at. Like right. it's really, it's really crazy to me because I know what my guys did when I was coming up. I didn't do what they did. Right. They protected me from that. Right. When they did what they did, they said. Man, you probably want to go because something about to happen. And they would even tell somebody, man, get short up out of here. And things would happen. They would not say, come with us. We're about to go do this. Right. Or come stand on the corner while we do this. They wouldn't say that. They would literally say, stay away from what we do because we need you to be you. Right. We can't get in places that you get into if we don't have you. Right. So you got a guy for that. We got a guy for this other stuff. Right. And I think that um, if a rapper is promoting beef, in these days, with the social media, you got a crew of 30, 40 people. There's only one popular face in your crew. Right. That's you. You. So your guys do this and that. Y'all done incited some stuff. And then you provoking it with your song. When they see y'all around the town, they only know one face. You. And that's why I think, personally, I think we losing a lot of rappers is because, you know, Chop it off at the head, man. That's the bread and butter. When you when you gun down the rapper, you just gun down five other employees' income. Right. You just gun down school kids' clothes. You know what I'm saying? Right. Christmas. Right. A birthday. A right. Dope birthday that was gonna happen. You gun down it. And same thing with jail. When the rapper do so much dirt with his homies and he end up catching the case of going to jail, you locked up the income. <laughs> you feel me? So. Right. I think that we're not looking at the big picture. When I say we, I'm talking about us in the hip hop industry of the trickle down, the economic trickle down of these Worst rappers getting murdered and going to jail. Like you, like man, you got a rapper that's making fifty grand a month, a weekend, not a month. Right. A weekend, every weekend he go out and make fifty grand. That money go to the crew. We we share. We you know you my role manager. You know what I'm saying. Right. You my hype man, you my DJ, we, we, we from nothing. Right. And all that stops while you go do six months, a year, three years in jail, all that stops. So I'm like, we ain't thinking about the big picture. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You lead the Bay and you go to the A. I don't know if a lot of people knew this, mm -hmm. that Atlanta's been your home for two decades? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I stayed in Atlanta 15 years. Okay. I'm, I'm back on the West now. Okay, you, I'm, I came but you back. Did, so you was in, in the 90s, mid-90s? I'm from 93 to 2008. Okay. ATL. So, you know, your boy was there. That the boy was there. I'm telling so you. So you know all about 112. Come you on, know now. about Diamonds and Pearls. I know. You know how to go club. I know everything. Okay, okay. I know when it was Diamonds and Pearls, and 112 was at the other location. Yeah, okay. And then one twelve came. Next to the Kroger. One, yeah. Disco Kroger. Yeah, that's what, um, what David Justice and not David Justice, but uh, uh, Andre Rise and the Left Eye was in there, wilding out in, yeah. in the grocery store. Uh huh. Atlanta Live. Yeah. Go down the stairs. Yeah. Uh, and then one twelve moved to the old Diamonds and Pearl location. Chester Bridge. 
Yeah, thank you. So I, I know all that, man. I know, <laughs> I know a lot. I know the, you know, the original Magic City. I, the original Belfort. I'm the guy. And Blue Flag. And Stroker. So you name all them spots. <laughs> I'm the guy. When the club closed, I'm in there hanging out. I'm here put the tables, the chairs on the table. Right. I'm in the, I'm in the, uh, I'm down there with the house mom. Right. While all the girls is changing in their yeah. regular clothes. They don't let nobody down there. I'm right. down there kicking in. I got some wings. You've been to the Claremont too, haven't you? Everywhere. Eat breakfast. <laughs> See, people don't know about you, <laughs> I'm laughing, you laughing, because you know what goes on at the Claremont. Come on, I, I know everything, but um, yeah, I can tell you a lot about that, that ATL. When I got to ATL, it was 93. Mm -hmm. I went to the uh, Freaknik. April, ah. April 93. I heard about the Freaknik. That Freaknik happened in 91. It was a picnic. It happened in 92. Piedmont Park sold the whole park out. And they was like, man, this Freaknik. I heard about it. Mm -hmm. So me and a whole bunch of people heard about it. Mm -hmm. And we Freaknik probably went from 20,000 people to 400,000 in a year. Uh, yeah. I was there. I I moved to Atlanta because of Freak Nick. That's my, I did, that's my time, story. <laughs> at the time, I was living in Savannah. I had went back, to, so I had went back finishing my, my schooling, but I was living in Savannah in the off season. And I called my brother, and I kept hearing people talk about it. I said, well, I'm going to go to the Freak I'm going to go to Freak Nick. <laughs> I called my brother, hey, bro, they got this thing called Freak Nick going off in Atlanta. He, like, went in it. I said, such and such. He's like, okay, I'll meet you there. Freak Nick 93 was life-changing. It was a monster. It was life-changing. We um we got wind of it, right? We took about probably like 15 dudes from Oakland, like some baller, a little baller crew. Yeah. We went out there. We 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 checked into a little hotel. It was like a bunch of Detroit dudes, Miami, mm -hmm. some some uh some Cleveland dudes, and we kind of all clicked up. And our hotel was like a like a crew. And um, Freak Nick 93, I went for the weekend. Now, mind you, I'm, I'm born April 28th. Freak right. Nick is my birthday. That's, oh. that's the weekend. So, <laughs> on my birthday is is Freak Nick. I check in the hotel three nights. I check out probably like three weeks later. <laughs> and one of my homies from Oakland had moved to Atlanta, and he was like, "Man, what you about, what you gonna do? What you like? What you doing in life?" I'm like, "Man, I'm about to get me a little crib in the town. Probably probably spend about a half meal up on the hill, a little one of them little private roads or something." He was like, "You gonna spend five hundred thousand in Oakland?" He's like, let me show you what you get in Atlanta for 500. We rode around looking at houses. He's showing me these big old houses for like 350. I'm like, what? So it was, it was planted. Yes. I, I went home, I get home, ain't nothing but drive-bys and shootings and violence. And I mean, seriously, man, at the time, friends of mine had split up into a street war. Right. So friends, we're in a small town. Oakland is 400,000 population. Right. We got a small crew of homies that are now enemies. Right. And it's really hard in that situation to determine what's coming your way. Right. Because who's, who's, who picked what side? I don't know. Who's, who's friends? Who's mad at me because I hang out with them? Right. Like, it, it was really weird. And I'm going to Atlanta, taking little trips. And I just was like, man, I'm about to buy me a house out here. I went to the Jack the Rapper, which is in August, mm -hmm. four or five months after Freak Nick. Mm -hmm. I didn't tell nobody nothing. We had Jack the Rapper, it's Tupac, it's Snoop Dogg, it's people everywhere. It's, it's, it's not Freak Nick, but it's still a it's still an ATL oh, yeah, vibe. Yeah, yeah, oh, absolutely. I just got I had a little rental car. I just drove over to Southwest Atlanta by myself and bought a house. And then went back to the convention like I didn't even do it. And by the end of the year, the house was ready. I moved out. And, the rest is history, you know? That's how it happened. Atlanta was a hick town, too. It wasn't, it, it was nothing like it was, because I got there, I went to Freak Nick like you. I went to Freak Nick the first time in 92, went back in 93. I called my agent. That was uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Start breaking down, waning down Sunday. I called my agent uh, on Monday. I'm moving to Atlanta. Send the guy <laughs> up here. He's like, okay, we got this kind of, you got this, this much money to get a house. I said, I don't care what Wasn't you nobody say. in Atlanta at that time. It was Bobby Brown. <laughs> it was, um, I'm trying to think who was there that was, that was like really like kicking up some dust. I remember uh, my boy Eric Sermon got there kind of early. Yeah. Well, I mean, you had like, I think LA, I think Babyface. And I'm saying LaFace was, yeah. that, that was the game. Yeah. But, but no, but like you said, Bobby Brown was really the only like celebrity celeb that but was I, there. 
because I, I got there and I watched a little bit and I seen Bobby Brown having so much fun. I was like, I'm about to do what he's doing because he's having too much fun. And that's where the club stayed open all night. I probably, the club stayed open until 7 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, yeah. I, pro I probably, <laughs> I got there at the end of 93. Mm -hmm. And at that point in time, I had a platinum album in 89, 90, 90 92, 93. I had four platinum albums when right. I got there. Right. I show up, I got my little car, I got like 20 inch rims. They're like, what are those uh, flying saucers? What is, <laughs> what is that? <laughs> you know, I was like Michael Jackson. I was, that's when you, uh, when you, you, somebody go, man, you from California. You know Michael Jackson? <laughs> <laughs> of course I know Mike. What are you talking about? Like, <laughs> man, I used to be at Magic City. I, I, I never really tell this story. I used to be at Magic City, and I had, um, I had a, an endless supply of the really good California weed, and literally, people like you, you want to tell some chick, uh, man, girl, I'm trying to kick with you. What I gotta do? I was open that bag. <laughs> They're like, what is that? I'm like, that's bad, Cali, baby. Like, I, I, I was having so much fun in '93, but Atlanta, uh, the Atlanta that we know now, I was, I'm proud that I was there to see it born. Young Dallas Austin, young Jermaine Dupri, mm -hmm. young LaFace Records, uh, Outkast came out of all that. Yeah, um, you got Luda, you got the TIs now, you got. The Olympics came. Yeah, 96. And then they started building up Atlanta with the Olympic money. Yep. And when the Olympics left, Atlanta was a nice city. Yes. It was nice. And yes. from that point on, the music industry was establishing itself and it turned into a whole new Atlanta. The Atlanta it is now, I'm, I just, it just make you proud when you go out there and you see the entrepreneurs and you see the dream, you see the fire in people trying right. to make it. Yes. Trying to make it. Like, yes. everybody ain't making it, but they be trying to make it. Right. And that's like, that to me is so important that you try because people have dreams and they sit around and they think of stuff, but they don't try it. You said something very interesting early. You said that you left the Bay because there's some things going on. Do you feel that rappers have to leave their hometown, have to leave where they grew up from in order to get away? Because Everybody's not happy. Too Short is what he became. They liked Too Short when Too Short was mm -hmm. same level. Mm -hmm. We drinking, we hanging out. He ain't got no more than I got. I ain't got no more than he got. Too Short, my dog. Hold on. Too Short got more than I got. Man, Too Short got three cars. Man, Too Short. Man, they bumping Too Short stuff. So, in my case, it was it was a lot of violence. Mm -hmm. And I think that if you're close to that, you probably should separate yourself from it because Anybody that's into that that's close to you shouldn't want you to be there. If you're a ball player, right. if you're an entertainer, whatever it is, help that person. They should insulate you, know, you let's from that. Help people make it out when you right. see them, when you see they got a chance. Right. So um, um, I think that in certain situations, like I noticed long after I moved, long before I moved, that in the daytime, shine a little bit. Come by and say hi, what's up? You know, but at night, it's somebody that saw you earlier that day that was like, F him. And they might see you at the gas station or the store and just act on that. So I used to have like my, my, um, you know, different uniforms. Yeah. My uniform for hanging out at night was be, I look at everybody else, I'm like, okay, put on some black jeans, put on a little black hoodie, maybe a little Raider hoodie or something. Right. And, uh, you know, don't put the fly. What you call it, something cool. Right. And just come out there and zip it up. You know what I'm saying? I literally yeah, yeah, don't you stand out. Literally, I went and bought me a 1973 Camaro. Got it. I went and took it to the cheapest paint shop, got a cheap paint paint job where if the if the little green chip, it'll be blue underneath. Right. You know what I'm saying? And put some hubcaps on it. <laughs> and had my little music inside. Right. I had a brand new engine. Right. <laughs> it was reliable, right? But I would drive that at night, and when you pull up, cash just be like, "Oh, that's short." You know, you ain't really pulling up with five chains on and and jumping out, acting like you the man, and it just irritates people a little bit—a yeah. show off. So what I'm saying is, in certain situations, you don't gotta leave the hood. Just understand that you rubbing it in folks' face, right? All that social media posting saying you got way more than everybody else. 
Somebody don't like that, man. Right. And it might be somebody that normally wouldn't even be mad at you, but you making them mad. Right. And then you come around and you're showing up and you're jumping out and you ain't really sharing because it ain't your obligation to necessarily share. Right. So you're irritating somebody. You might get a jealous, a jealous reaction. So I think um, smart is the thing you do, man. You be smart. You be smart how you move. And if you got to move out, if you don't have that respect from like guys who fight good and guys who are very violent, don't come around them right. after you make it and you know somebody been, you know, lightweight bully situation right. or it's a dude that, like it's, in the hood, it's dudes like this. You got respect. All these dudes gonna respect you. Mm-hmm. But it's just one dude that none of them is gonna mess with if he go bad on you. Right. And oh man, Debo done went bad on you. <laughs> Everybody who will protect you now, they ain't protect you. Like, man, tell him stop. No. Okay, that's Debo. Right. <laughs> so you know? Right. So it's all these situations that you got to navigate through. Depot might not be the guy who want a job. He don't want to be your bodyguard. Right. He don't want nothing from you. He just he just don't like you because you're a punk showing off. Right. And he, in his, you in it. Right. So it, you got to be smart, man. Right. You were in the 90s, uh-huh. in Atlanta in the 90s. Uh-huh. Tupac was also in Atlanta. He was there. In the 90s. He was enjoying. He was an early, he was an early one that got yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and you were also in the studio with Biggie. Mm-hmm. What was what was it like? What was it? I mean, because I talked to Snoop and Snoop. What was what was Pac really like? What was it like with it being around him in the studio? Um, you you know that you notice instantly that Biggie and Pac both. You notice instantly like these guys are not in the same universe as me, right? Because the way they the way that their method of recording is truly unbelievable. Biggie, no pen, no paper. Doesn't even seem like, you know, the, the one time I was around him when he wrote a classic rhyme, which was uh, The World is Filled. When the Remy's in my system, ain't no telling, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Classic. We were in the room and it was drink, it was smoking, it was girls, it was loud, it was storytelling, it was jokes, it was just a lot of distraction. So we working on this song. Puffy got the first verse. Carl Thomas is on the hook. Mm-hmm. The beat is already done. Carl Thomas and Puffy are already on it. Puff is playing it, doing his dance thing. And as you know, what's Puff's, uh, I forget how his verse started, but, but um, he come in slick. Right. And Puff at the time wasn't really known for like raps. He hadn't done a lot on Biggie's first album. Right. This was the second album. Right. And he was proud. He was hitting the knob and like, look how I sound. Like he right. did it. He, he, he crafted his away from everybody. And it was however he did it, he did it. Right. So that's the first phase. So I'm in the room. I'm supposed to be doing my little 16 bars. and But it's a lot of distractions. It's the girls and right. drinking it. You drinking, let me hit that. Well, you know. I need to and concentrate. Then, so Biggie right there, we laughing, we still, and he like, I'm ready. What you mean you're ready? <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's he talking about? He's ready. And he go in there and he's like, he tell everybody, like, watch him do this in one take. And he go in there, he go, when the room is in my system, ain't no telling. And he stop. He go, hold on, hold on, hold on, take it back. He's like, watch. And the next take, he wrapped that whole verse in one take. And he, you know, when you, it's, this is what I, I like about rap. It, whether it's on you or you put it on somebody else, he came out that booth and everybody was like, ooh. <laughs> so I'm sitting here, there's two verses on the song, the hook is there, the beat done, ain't nothing but an open 16, and me. And I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> like, oh, man, it, it was, it was it's, that dudes like that put you in that situation. How he did that, with all that noise and him talking, and right. how did he put that in his head and memorize it? You know, Jay-Z went on to develop that technique and right. then, Little Wayne said, I'm, I'm throwing down the pen. And now, based on Biggie, evolution and Notorious Big, right. ain't nobody trying to use pen and paper because it's sort of like, it's, it's like a right. straight jacket. It's, right. it's, it's limiting your, your freedom your of creativity. how you yeah. go. Right. So I found my way up out of it. I, I, I boxed my way out of it. it was, you know, I love those situations. I, I learned that when you get around somebody that's better than you, mm-hmm and you ain't got no choice, you get better. Right. <laughs> you have to. Right. And Tupac was a whole different beast because he actually would actually take a pen mm-hmm. and paper. And I don't know if you've seen any of his written stuff. Yeah. 
he writes really fast. Right. And it's really like, like it has emotion right. in the pen. And he, and I've, one night I remember in particular, he came in and did something on my album, a song called This Is How We Do. And he came in and he's like, hey man, we, we had already made the song. He's like, man, let me get on that song. Like, you Tupac, get on it. <laughs> and he's, he gets the pen, he gets the paper, and he starts writing. And I'm watching him, and he's writing a line, and he's writing. As fast as you can just keep writing, he just keeps writing. Like, when I write a rhyme, I rap it. Dang, I'm thinking. Right. You know, it takes me about 30 minutes. Could take me an hour and get it like a cool 16 or something, you know? Right. This man wrote this verse in like five minutes. As fast as he could write it. And I'm like, he had to know this beforehand or something. But when you find out, he'd been doing that everywhere. And he gets in there and he just says, the, his opening line was, I finger fucker with my diamonds. Like, you just thought of that? Like, you just, just come in here? And, and everybody said it, man. They're like, Tupac could have like two verses written by the time you like just starting your first couple lines. Right. And he in the booth dancing circles around you. Go listen to a lot of the songs he did with the with the um his crew. The um the, got me thrown off now. With the with the uh Gaddafi and all that. Right. And the outlaws, thank you. Tupac do the first two verses and then they come on. And they said a lot of the songs he got with people, he's already on verse two before you could even start. And he just he go in the booth and rap it so fast while you still writing. He's like, catch up. And I don't know how these guys come up with this. I don't know. I just think it's, I wouldn't even call it genius. I would just, I think that, think about people who die young, they seem to, and do great things, they seem to have an urgency that right. they gotta hurry up and do this because right. they seem to know ain't a lot of time. Right. And in Tupac's case, he rapped about it multiple times. He rapped about dying young. Yes. Getting murdered. Like yeah. he, he's- People don't realize Tupac was what, 25? 25, Biggie would have been 25 too. Yeah. And it's hard to accomplish that much at that age. And that's the thing what people don't realize. <laughs> they, you would think that Biggie and Tupac had 10, 15, 20 year careers. Like five. We take Tom Brady away at 25, he's not a legend. <laughs> we take Two Short away at 25, ain't no legend. Yeah. Like, I need time to get to this. Right. That he didn't have a Jay-Z career. He didn't have an LL Cool J mm -hmm. or an Ice Cube or a Snoop Dogg, the longevity. But I honestly think that somewhere in there, you get a, you get the insight. I've, I know people who weren't as popular as them that died young, and they did great things. Right. Great things. I'm like, how do you know to do this? Right. How you know you got to do this much? So, I think I, I think those guys were um, gifts gifts to hip hop. Right. Tupac brought Biggie brought that style to no pen and pad, a lot of cadences, a lot of stuff. You know the big guy swag, but um. You know, Tupac, I think, man, if you look at him, how many rappers had tattoos, thug life on their stomach before Tupac? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? How many, how many people was trying to, little skinny niggas was trying to tat it all up? Yeah. And he was, you know, he was emulating gangbangers, you know, Crips and Bloods, but at the same time, that's the look of hip hop now. Right. Like, you can't really be a rapper. Like, I'm a rapper with no tattoos. I've been laughed at. <laughs> Girls be like, let me see your tattoos. I ain't got none. You, you ain't got no tattoos. I'm like, <laughs> I was before Tupac, baby. <laughs> <laughs> you, you tell the story about the road trip mm -hmm. from Miami to ATL to be on Jay-Z's Big Pimpin'. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, not Big Pimpin', no. Yeah, it was Big, yeah, it was Big Pimpin', yeah. Big, Big Pimpin', yeah. yeah. Uh, that was the, um, there's a whole thing with Pimp C, UGK. Yep. Pimp C and Bun B and the Big Pimpin' song. And I hear Bun talk about it. And I, I knew the story. I knew a little bit of it because um, the label, Jive Records, we were all on the same label, was right. trying to get Pimp to do the song. Right. And <clears throat> I knew Pimp's opinion on the situation, and it was open and shut. If you don't, if you don't fool with Tupac, I don't fool with you. Right. No bending of the rules. Right. We're talking about a guy who never met Tupac. Right. He didn't even know him. And he's like, I ride with Pac to the end. So anybody who ever said this on Tupac, ever, Pimp C didn't like you. Just, he just never would fool with you, ever, ever, ever. So he put Jay-Z in the category of, 
I don't think Tupac liked him. Tupac wouldn't, you know, as Biggie homie or whatever. I ain't, right. I ain't fooling with him. But Bun B, the label, myself included, was trying to say, you know, Jay ain't like that, bro. Jay ain't Jay. You know, it's, it's a great opportunity. Right. It's Jay-Z getting at you. Right. Do it. I ain't doing it. Uh, you know, all this stuff. So whatever Bun and all them did, they talked them into it. The song got recorded. But Pimp still had an attitude about the <laughs> East West and the right. He from Port Arthur, Texas, but he mad <laughs> about how y'all feel about Tupac. Right. And Bun B would give you way more insight on Pimp's state of mind about this. But I was given the task of Pimp won't go to the video, the two-day video shoot. I think it really was a one-day video shoot. They was gonna shoot it in Trinidad at Carnival. Right. And this fool got a song with Jay-Z. A video at Carnival Trinidad, and he, I ain't going. Like, if Jay Z would have <laughs> called me and said, do the song, when? <laughs> you know, the video at Carnival, when? My flight, when? Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. Not C. C was hard headed. So I was given the task of, can you get him to come to the video? They're going to add another day and shoot in Miami. They got to get C. It's a big budget video. I think Hype Williams directed right. it. Mm -hmm. So Pimp C had just bought a brand new Mercedes. He loved his new Mercedes. And I think I had just got this little Porsche. So I was like, we should. He knew about the video. Right. Wasn't like, I wasn't scamming him or nothing. Right. I was like, we should get the cars. We go down to the video shoot. You know what I'm saying? We get down there, stay a couple weeks, get some house, blah, you know, whatever. Right. And I, I, I made it a thing. And he probably showed, you know, if I said it, because I was, I was just like he looked up to Tupac, he looked up to me. Right. And, and in all situations, Pimp would be like throwing a fit. And they'd be like, man, go talk to your little brother. Man, go talk to him. Right. I'd go in there and be like, can't talk him down. But you could throw some logic in there. Be right. like, see, we came here to get the money, man. Them people out there want to see the show, man. You know what I'm saying? Right. That's, man, these people, man, let's get the money to the show. This how we, this how we do it, bro. We get at them, deal with them later. And he'd be like, all right, if you, if you say so. <laughs> but, <Right. laughs> but before that, he would throw stuff around like, if everybody, man, I don't get your money out of <laughs> So um, we took the road trip. We got him down there, he did his scene, and we kicked it. We stayed in Miami. We stayed in Miami for a, a few weeks and had a ball. Like, we, we really did kick it. You love, you love sports. You, I'm a sports fan. You you sports junkie. You love it all. Basketball, football. Boxing, Bay Area sports fan. Very biased. You biased? Very biased. So you Steph Curry above all? I'm Warriors, the Warriors. You the Warriors? You know, I was Monte Ellis. <laughs> you was there before Steph and Clay and Draymond. You was what did they call themselves? That was the Matt Barnes, Stephen Jay. What did they what they the We Believe team. Yeah, we, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We believe. We believe. We, we have run TMC, you know? Yeah, yeah. But look at this, man. I'm I'm the we the Warriors, man. We really question the Monte trade. Monte Ellis. Like, you gonna trade Monte and who who will be our point? Little little the little kid with the uh, with the with the weak ankles. Yeah, hey, people was mad and stuff. You know, I, I really think he was that little kid all the way up until he get got that goatee. When he got that goatee, when that goatee came, he came in. He grew up. He's like y'all know. I, ain't. I remember first time seeing Steph Curry. The Warriors was they used to club. You know, the new Warriors don't really club. Right. They, they they a little more refined and and you know the Steve Kerr Warriors. But the old Warriors, Baron Davis and them, Steven Jackson and them, them boys, they went to the Matt Barnes, they was in the club every night. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, who is that little boy with the Warriors? <laughs> Who's the little boy? They're like, oh, that's the backup point guard. I was like, he's like a little kid, man. He was a little kid. And he's Steph Curry now, so, you know, for real. So, short athletes, give me your, no, first of all, you say Biggie and Tupac, obviously. Mm -hmm. Give me your Mount Rushmore rappers. Dang, that's, that's a tough one, man. That's really a tough, tough, tough one. I'm from a different era than most hip-hop fans. And, you know, with me, right out, you can't do nothing without Melly Mel. Like, okay. and a lot of people ain't gonna put him there, but he put the MC in it. He was the first one to me that just put the MC in it. Yep. Like in it, like on right. a, on not on a New York scale, on a commercial, national scale. Yeah, yeah, he was it. This is a songwriter, rapper, right. hit maker, 
Grandmaster Flash, Furious Five lead rapper Melly Mel. Mm -hmm. um, you know, um, that's just a tough question, man, because I'm biased on the West Coast. I'm biased. Okay, well, how about this? Give me your West Coast. Give me your Mount Rushmore West Coast. But we just made the Mount Westmore group. Which so that's is, it? Which is my guys. And then... So you got 40? You, Snoop, and Cube. And I got DJ Quick, and I got Warren No, nah, you ain't got before. You got four of my Rushmore. You ain't been to add no heads to my Rushmore. <laughs> but hey, of, of all time, man, you know, I would put, I would put Melly Mel up there just because of his impact on hip-hop, and I would put Jay-Z up there because I feel like Jay-Z, I don't know where Biggie and Jay-Z would have ended up right. as Brooklyn brothers. If they both had a long career, I don't right. know where they would have went, what Puffy would have did with Big, and what it would have evolved to. But I do know that Jay-Z is an extension of Biggie, and I, don't, I do know that he, I don't know this for a fact, but I do know that he took on everything Jay-Z was going to be and everything Biggie was going to be. And he said, I'm going to wear both these, both these fucking right. coats and, 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 and hold it down for Brooklyn. Right. Um, so where he got to is definitely it. Uh, Rapper-wise, you can't put Dr. Dre in it because he's not a, a, a writing rapper. Right. But he's Dr. Dre, and he had the, the best resume. He got the best branches on his tree of Eminem and Snoop Dogg and 50 Cent. And, you know, I, he's a producer. Right. But rap-wise, man, it's, it's just too many. It's too many. It's too many to just go down the line and go, who's the GOAT? Because it's too many GOATs, man. I got my, my boy Scarface. I mean, he's, he's GOAT status on right. the, the songs he wrote. Scarface, you're gonna say Scarface, but go back and listen to the words like he wrote. Face. Like the words he wrote, yeah. he's is so poetic, poetic in his Yeah, they're, well, they're different style because people don't give K KRS is mm -hmm. a lyricist. KRS, people don't give KRS his due. But, but I'm old enough, you and I yeah. both old enough to know who KRS one is. And Big Daddy Kane, mm -hmm. Kumo, I mean, so, it's, it's Kumo did. He was a, yeah, you know, he was a guy. For a while, rock him, rock him. He, he changed a lot of, a lot of the way people rap. Right. You know what I'm saying every, a lot of people brought a lot to the table, man. So it's hard to, it's hard to go it with me, man. I can't top five nothing. I'm not arguing no top five arguments. <laughs> I'm not agreeing with no top five that you got it. I'm not. It's just, it's just not. I can't even top ten it. Not even top ten. I can't, man. Okay, well give me your Mount Rushmore basketball. <laughs> now you can do that. Hoop, let's see. Uh, I'm definitely going to go with Magic okay. and Jordan. Okay, that's We'll put them on there. Okay. Um, I got to witness, and I've seen, the, I've seen the college clips, and I've seen a lot of the youngster. Um, uh, it's high. You know Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, man? Okay. Blue Alcinda? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's savage. Yeah. Because we picture his end of his career when he wasn't really going back on defense, but right. a lot led up to that. Yeah. To still hold, does he still hold that scoring title? He does. He has it for another year and a half till LeBron. LeBron, yeah. Yep, you know coming. LeBron gonna get that. It's coming. He got to. He got to. That's part of why he's hanging around. Yeah, yeah. Uh, LeBron, I'm gonna give LeBron. They, they talk the LeBron, Steph Curry thing, but I'm like, I have a theory. You might dispute it. I know you big up LeBron a lot. Uh, I have a theory What's that? that later on, they're going to introduce the technology of human hybrids, <laughs> and they're going to let us know that LeBron was one of the first, <laughs> like he was partially a robot. 6'9", 250, could run, could jump, body like Carl Malone. And I always thought it when he was a youngster, because he was a grown man at 16. Right. Literally a grown man. Mm -hmm. And he held up. And he's still like coming down that lane. Powering on. I, 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 I pity the fool that take a charge from LeBron. <laughs> like, I, they get out the way. I, I literally see players. Like, you watch, you watch the game a different yeah. way to me. But you jump out the way when he comes. Yeah, you ain't got no pads on. Why am I taking, <laughs> why am I taking an elbow to the chair? Why am I taking a knee to the chair? I see dudes take that charge and lay there like this. <laughs> yeah, I, I ain't He's a robot. Yeah. He's a robot. He done a lot of robot stuff in the game, too. Appreciate it. Yes, sir. Thank you for stopping by. Wait, don't end it yet. What's that? Because I need to know. 
Because I thought you and your brother was twins for years. <laughs> Who the oldest? He is. He's the oldest, okay. I'm three years younger. For real? Yeah. You get the twin stuff a lot? No, well, no, not really. But, no, people mistake me for him. They say, well, were you the one that played in Green Bay? Mm-hmm. I mean, people know we're brothers, but they always... You, think, know, I'm a, you know I'm a Raider now, so... Man, y'all... <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've always been a Raider. You got to get you a new team, bro. You got to get you a new team. <laughs> Y'all ain't going to do nothing. We about to get us a quarterback. Every, everything AFC West, you know. Yeah. You know how we get down to AFC West. Oh, yeah. Ain't no, love, ain't no love lost between <laughs> nobody in that division. Yeah, so and where y'all from? Born in Chicago, raised in South Georgia. Okay. So down in Savannah Way. Yep. See, I went to school in Savannah. I'm about 65 miles from Savannah. Okay, so I know everything geographically. Okay, yeah. So you, so you, not only would you live, so you parked, you all down there in the Macon, Savannah, going down there, Brunswick, Georgia, Columbus, all that. Yeah, okay, South. Yeah, I, I know it all. I know it all. Every, I know every little town in Mississippi, Louisiana, <laughs> Arkansas. I didn't hit the back roads. I didn't did the Chitlin circuit. Bro, yeah. Appreciate you stopping by, short. Thank you, bro. Good stuff. All my life, been grinding all my life. Sacrifice, hustle paid the price. Wanna slice, got to roll the dice. That's why. All my life, I've been grinding all my life. Look, all my life, been grinding all my life. Sacrifice, hustle paid the price. Wanna slice, got to roll the dice. That's why. All my life, I've been grinding all my life. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.